I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Welcome to Geek Squatch, where nostalgia finds a giant hairy beast and spits out a podcast about 80s and 90s nerd culture. This week, I'll be hosting, and my name is Caleb McAllister, and we'll be coming out of the co- out to the coast, getting together and having a few laughs as we discuss one of the best Christmas movies of all time, Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. On this episode, we're going to break down the year of 1988, which is when this movie was released. Uh, our memories of the show, a quick plot synopsis, uh, cast overview, production, lots of production notes, <clears throat> a little bit on the music, and sequels and legacy of the, of the film. So my question to my hosts as I introduce them will be, what would be your action hero name? And that first action hero is Alex Hirsch. What's up, Alex? What's up, man? How you doing? Good. With an accent like that, you should be on TV. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um... Shit, man. My action hero name? I, I, yes. I, you told me. I, I saw this and didn't even think of one. Uh, <laughs> Max Hardness. <laughs> nice. That's good. I like it. Uh, oh, yeah. They call me Max Hardness. <laughs> yeah. It can work for a variety of different uh, films. Absolutely. Types. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Brandon. Many genres. <laughs> You're filling genres. Your... Yeah. I'm the good David Duchovny. Yeah. yeah. Lots of uh, acronyms, you know, like FFM, MMF, those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> MMM, MMM. Uh, lot, yeah, lots of M's. <laughs> lots of, yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, Brandon Kramer. What's up, Brandon? What's going on? What would be your action hero name? Dude, um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm gonna, I, I popped one out to you guys before the show. It's not very action hero-y. I'm going to go um, I'm gonna go balls out, Brandon. <laughs> balls out, <laughs> Brandon. Yeah. Nice. That's where I'm going. You have to, Im- That's I, an you have to imagine that like this is when the sergeant comes out and says, Damn it, balls out! You can't be doing that with your gun. You know? Yeah. Like that. No, it's see, better I than my it. other oh, option, which was, which was Brandon Cookies and Cream. I like that one more. See, I, I saw I saw it not as like a sergeant coming out and yelling at you. I saw it more as like balls out. Brandon is a character in a post apocalyptic, um, like dystopian roller derby movie. <laughs> oh yeah, that could be cool. Ride. Cool. I'll save yeah. I'll save cookies and cream for the ladies. You know what I mean? There you go. No, 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 no. Next up, the lady in the room who was just totally offended by that last comment. <laughs> uh, I'll never my, talk to any of you again. My it's wife, disgusting. Jamie McAllister. What's up, Jamie? How you doing? I'm good. <laughs> yeah? No, I'm really... What would be your heroine name? My heroine. 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 My heroine. Not the good stuff. Heroine, but baby. They call, they uh, call me big, Black Tar. 
Yes, that's it. <laughs> oh, I know what this one's gonna be. I know. I'm going with big sexy country. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I there's a backstory to that one, but I will not share it. Uh, uh-huh. next up is Colin Perkins. What's so up, Colin? Both of mine are unoriginal. Um either Max Power or oh, gotcha. Turd Ferguson. Turd Ferguson. Turd Ferguson. <laughs> that sounds bad. Some more. <laughs> hey man, you know what though? Come to place. I, I don't like questions like this, Colin, and I'll be honest. I don't like questions like this because I feel like you're not allowed to choose your own nickname that's a good point you know what i mean yes. you can't right. you, you can't self-gloss mm-hmm. like that so well, this is like if you're writing if you're writing the horrible script for your you know b movie that's never gonna get made and it's kind of about you in junior high and you got picked on a lot kind of thing mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah i did that i wrote a, i wrote i wrote a shitty uh what i thought was a screenplay but turned out to be like four pages on notebook paper <laughs> exactly <laughs> Everybody did it at least once. <clears throat> so mine would be Jackson Powerline because I kind of want to keep it like detective-y, but also like kind of superheroine-esque, you know, mm-hmm. superhero-esque, so you could kind of go both ways like with it. it. You want to be able to get into a ring every once in a while with that one too, I guess. That too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This covers everything. Yeah. It's like, you know. Dude, the Jackson Powerline could be your finisher. You know? <laughs> Boom. <It could> be. <laughs> Boom. That's right. You just got power. Would that be off the top rope, you think? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think, no, I think, I think that since Caleb was like such a big dude, like such a tall dude, <laughs> that would, it would just be like a fucking, like an ultra imposing clothesline. <laughs> That's it. I would just do the chokehold that, um, that, uh, Kane does, you know, like when he oh, okay. you up and throws mm-hmm. you down. That's what I'd do. There you go. Totally. Nice. Hey guys, welcome right, to guys. a WWE podcast. <laughs> yes. Hi. Not at all. We'll be right back. Uh, you can take a quick break before we throw you off Nakatomi Plaza. You mind if we hear some tunes? Hey, that'll work. Do you got any Christmas music? This is Christmas music. It was December 24th on Holland Sabbath, the dark. When I seen a man chilling with his dog in the park. I approached him very slowly with my heart full of fear. Looked at his dog, oh my God, a ill reindeer. But then I was dealing with the man at a beer. And a bag full of goodies, 12 o'clock at near. So I turned my head a second and the man was gone. But he must have dropped his rocks back dead on the lawn. I picked a wallet up and then I took a pause. Took out the lights and then it cold set Santa Claus. And we're back. So before we take off our shoes and socks and grip the carpet with our toes, we have to hop into the Wayback Machine. The year is 1988. July 12th is the day that uh, Die Hard was released into theaters. Um, it's a pretty interesting month for movies. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, see, Alex was a, a wee babe. He was seven months old. Mm-hmm. Brandon was four. Jamie had just turned four. Um, I was about to turn five. So you were four, in the too. middle of July. And yeah, I was four too. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, we're like me and Jamie and Brandon are all four for like a certain amount of time, or all the same age for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. during the year, and then I become older. <clears throat> um, and then Colin was you're seven, gonna turn eight mm-hmm. very soon. Uh, and so in the news, this is a funny one. I thought this is funny because it's super political, and so if you're a political nerd or history buff, <clears throat> you're gonna freak out maybe. Uh, but everyone else, you're gonna be like, what did he even say? So on July first, the Soviet Union. Yeah, that existed at this time. Voted to end the CPSU's monopoly on economic and other non-political power and to further economic changes towards a less rigid Marxist-Leninist economy. If that makes sense to you, cool. (laughs) You don't have friends. Yeah, you have no friends. (laughs) On my birthday this year, July 20th, 
the Democratic National Convention in Atlanta nominated Michael Dukakis and Lloyd Benston, Benston <laughs> as its presidential and vice presidential candidates, respectively. Good call on that one, guys. You'll never hear their names again because uh, they lost horribly uh, to uh, George H.W. Mm-hmm. Bush. July 31st, 32 people were killed in, and 1,674 were injured in a bridge, uh, when a bridge at the Sultan uh, Abdul Halim Ferry Terminal collapsed in Buttersworth, Malaysia. So, not a lot going on this month. It's kind of a stretch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah you, you went with Malaysian news. So. <laughs> it's weird. I, I had a really hard time finding stuff going on. For some reason, July of 1988 was a very weird and uneventful month in history. Pop culture stuff song, was better. Yeah. Mm, sort of. Cheap Trick's song The Flame was number one this week. It was for two weeks straight in July, and I listened to it, and I had never heard it before. And I like Cheap Trick. So. It doesn't ring a bell for me. <laughs> The flame. What is ha- I listened to the whole thing, and the whole time I'm like, some, at some point I'm, I know I've listened to this on the radio. <laughs> nope, not even close. <laughs> uh, other films that came out this month, though, there's a lot. So we got Short Circuit, Short yeah. Circuit Two, A Fish Called Wanda, um, The Deadpool, Midnight Run, Big Top Pee Wee, Cocktail. Mm, cocktail. Nice. There's a couple oh, other cocktail. ones too. How did you not lead with Cocktail? I have <clears throat> not seen any of those movies. Any of really? them? Not any, not even Tom a one of Cruise them. with a shaker. Oh, I don't know what that. any of those movies. I like if I had to <laughs> even try to imagine a, a plot or a movie poster, I couldn't. I couldn't even tell you, dude. You know, Short Circuit Two feels like I think I might have seen Short Circuit. Johnny Five is did. alive. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Short Circuit's the best. The it, second one was terrible. Two though. is when he goes to the city and basically yeah. is a gay man because he's got the little handkerchief on him. Mm. Really? Either that or he's Fred from Scooby Doo <laughs> trying what? to find the monster. I can't figure. So it basically, out. they're just cutting. Yeah, they're just boy. like stealing the plots from Crocodile Dundee too. Like exactly. it is like whatever Crocodile Dundee does. Johnny Five is that does. The plot? Is it the plot of the second movie? Is like, what if we gave him a handkerchief? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Um, and the number one magazine, according to myself personally, and probably Alex as well, Nintendo Power came out uh, in July of August of this year. Nice. Yeah, still looking for that issue one, man. If anybody's got it, hit, hit me up. Isn't it Mario Two on to... the cover of issue one? Mario, yeah, Super Mario Brothers too. Yeah. I really, you know, actually, if anybody, if anybody's offloading Nintendo Power magazines, I need uh, issue one twenty six, like real bad. Let me know. What's the cover of that? Which one? one's that? Uh, the cover of that one. I forget what's on the cover, but that's the Harvest Moon sixty four issue. It's got like a four page spread of like Harvest nice. Moon information. It's really good. Nice. It's a farming game. No. No, Jamie's looking at me like, "What in the hell?" Is yeah, it's a farming game. It's a game where you plant crops and, and tend animals and make friends with the people in town, and you like mac bitches and have babies and stuff. It's awesome. It's great. So it's The Sims. On no, the no, it's, it's no, Farmville no. on your Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. it's Farmville before Farmville. <laughs> Quick aside: Are you interested in those farming simulators, Alex? Like the actual farming simulators? Yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. They're fine. I like to I like to pretend like, you know, drive a combine sometimes. Why? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Oh yeah, he's got family from Nebraska. Again, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, my yeah, my mom's from Nebraska, man. Like, I'm 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 down to fuck with the combine. <laughs> cool. All right, real quick, um, I want to ask everybody, like, when the first time you saw, remember seeing Die Hard was, or at least considering this is another one of those films that's on TV, and you're probably gonna stop the channels and watch it if it's on. Do you remember 
Oh, Jamie has a memory. So we'll go to her first. What's your memory, <laughs> Jamie, of watching Die Hard? It's fresh. I'll tell you that. Uh, about a year ago, <laughs> this time, <laughs> when somebody posted on Facebook that Die Hard is the only Christmas movie or some, you know, whatever people post about Die Hard at Christmas time every year. And I turned to Caleb and I'm like, that's so dumb. I've never even seen Die Hard. And Ooh. he almost died in his chair next to me. <laughs> and, and then and Caleb struck you. <laughs> that was exactly. the first <laughs> I, I, I backhanded her and said, we are watching that film. Pretty much. And we immediately, it was like it, it just appeared out of nowhere. Die Hard was in the DVD player and it was going. And <laughs> Dad's was. been in the house. Dads have an uncanny <laughs> ability to manifest copies of Die Hard. It's like an innate Clearly. power that we have at any given time we can just make them happen <laughs> that's true apparently there's a special little pocket universe we keep them all in oh yeah mm. uh <laughs> what about you alex um i i mean trying to think back to the first time i saw it, it's kind of difficult because this movie's been around since you know i was a baby but i mean one of my probably the first time or at least one of the first one of the earlier times that i saw it i was like four maybe four and a half um i was there with my aunt and uncle on a military base and it's like my uncle's favorite movie ever um so we watched it probably – I mean, I feel like it was like once a week. Maybe it was less than that. But like we wa- – I probably watched that movie with him alone in the six months I lived with them 10 or 15 times easily. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I've times. seen this movie a lot. <clears throat> All right. Brandon, what about you? Do you have any specific memories of watching this um, film? I'm going to disappoint you a little bit. The first time I saw Die Hard was Christmas three years ago. Um, wow! I it's just not something I grew up with, and it's a lot like Jamie. People like talking about it being a Christmas movie, and I remember going home one night, and I was like, "I'm in the mood. I want to watch a Christmas movie." And I think I don't know what I was doing, but I, was, I remember just driving home and thinking, "I'm gonna make it Die Hard." And I went to the store and I bought it on Blu-ray. Went home and watched nice. it, and uh, I've watched it around Christmas the last three years. I watched it last night. Um, I will say, no regrets. Even though I only have three years' experience with this, it's probably on a short list of favorite 80s movies i love it's great it's such a it holds up it's so fun it's great it's absolutely a christmas movie um and it's a good time i love it i love how it holds up it's funny it's great action bruce willis at his prime that's right so so true what about you colin so somehow i avoided watching die hard until friday uh december 9th 2016 Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> Somebody watched it after Jamie? That's crazy. I know, right? So I, um, I, I, I knew of Die Hard. I, I would always, like, catch, uh, like, I think I would always turn it on during the glass scene. Like, like I would be flipping through the channels and be like, oh, this is Die Hard. But I, w- I wouldn't want to watch it because yeah. I want to watch the entire thing. And it just, for some reason, it never, right. like, I did a big Netflix, like, DVD queue of all the movies that I wanted to watch a long time ago. Um, maybe like five or plus years ago, and and I must have just completely forgot about Die Hard, so I never got around to watching it um, until until now. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad to be talking about this with all of you. Are you are you like cool. me, Colin, and just like when you would thought about going back and watching it at some point, you just thought it would be some 80, some cheesy '80s action movie that wouldn't hold up? No, no. Like, I just I never thought I I didn't think I would enjoy it, but I just went. And I never it up. thought I never thought that. I always just wanted I I was just wanted to watch it all the way through and it just for some reason it just has never come up and never and never happened um until friday <laughs> it's my second favorite cool. 80s action i just movie. never made time for it you know what's your first i know beverly hills cop <laughs> oh uh, 
That's a blind spot for me. Love so I'm, yeah. I'm looking Lose. forward to that episode. Oh, you've not seen I've that? never seen I it. When are we going to argue? Are, are we gonna argue about it being a Christmas movie or not at some point? We should. There's no ar- there's no argument oh, there's at not. all. <laughs> it, we'll, we'll, ex- we'll explain why. I'll explain why later. It literally fucking like there's Christmas. Di- all right, let's keep going. <laughs> we'll explain. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Go. So for me, I watched this movie probably a dozen times on television with all the cuts and horrible um, dubbing over it because of all the curse words and such on TBS. <laughs> before, as an adult, watching it. Um, with you know the full kitten caboodle not cut down for time and if you're listening to this and, and you've only ever watched this film on television you missed all the boobs you the well yeah boobs. you missed some yeah. boobies it's the it's a hallmark of any 80s film is to randomly have some extra who's That's willing true. to show her tears that's kind of the thing um but you need to watch this film because there's there's seen whole segments they cut out um weird jump cuts that they do to save time it's just cut to ribbons and i will i will reiterate this for any film you watch on television no nope. don't bother you know watch it yep. see if you like it if you do like it you're gonna like i hope you like I, you should like the yep. real version more so mm-hmm. um, my mom's a huge action movie fan she loves the lethal weapon series die hard terminator anything with explosions so um i was heavily exposed to this especially after high school and whatnot after you're old enough and i, lo- I love this movie Right. <laughs> yeah. After, yeah. Exactly. After I was old enough to make my own decisions, I was allowed to watch this film. So, um, let's go into the brief synopsis of the film. In case you didn't know, uh, Die Hard is a 1988 American action film directed by John McTiernan and written by Steve E. D'Souza and Jeb Stewart. Uh, it follows off-duty New York City Police Department officer John McClane, uh, played by Bruce Willis, as he takes on a group of highly organized criminals led by Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman who perform a heist in a Los Angeles skyscraper under the guise of a terrorist attack using hostages, including McLean's wife, Holly, played by Bonnie Bedelia, to keep the police at bay. And that's pretty much it. It's a very simple premise. Um, there's a couple of twists in there, uh, but that's about it. Uh, there's other cast members uh, to, to note, specifically uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, who yeah. you know as Sergeant Al Powell, who was, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on Carl his... Winslow. Carl Winslow, thank oh, you, from right. Family Matters. Um, Reginald Bell Johnson, Reggie, I'm sure, as he's called. <laughs> I'm friends with him. Uh, <coughs> well, like he's made pool. an entire car- career of playing cops. Like, literally, I think every single, almost every single role, 90% of his roles are cops. Hey, do you guys remember um, around, like, the late 2000s when uh, Call of Duty Black Ops came out and all those awesome Photoshopped pictures that said Call of Duty Black Cops oh and my just had God. Carl Winslow on the cover? Yes. Incredible. That was great. Caleb's looking <laughs> it up right now. <laughs> Caleb, Caleb's just going to let that one hang. All right, cool. That's fine. I'm going to let it hang. Cool. Sorry. Um... Paul Gleason as Dwayne T. Robinson, the deputy chief of police, and like also somebody who's made a career out of mm-hmm. being a douchebag. Yeah, I was um, gonna say career mm-hmm. asshole. Yeah, which is fine. Like it works for him. He's really, really good at it. Uh, Devereaux White as Argyle, the limousine driver, who while has <laughs> a very small role, is very iconic and, mm-hmm. and awesome in this movie. I, sh- I should go back to Reginald Bell Johnson. Like he's a, such a good actor. That it's kind of tragic that he's only really gotten you know very very typecast mm-hmm. you know oh like, yeah well, he's very good when was when was fa- was it what, what was it called again Family, Family Matters? Matters yeah Family Matters was, yeah. this came out in eighty eight was Family Matters around around then 
Uh, it came out in 89, and it ended in 98. So, so that's where that typecast came from. I mean, that was on oh, for so sure. long. Like, that's... Following this with Family Matters, that's... You're you're the, you know, you're the fat... Well, he was in other films in the left. 80s where he was also a cop. He was in Turner and Hooch, um, and, a, and a couple other films. Again, obligatory boobs. Was... Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> someone was so. sitting at someone was sitting in a casting office, and they were just they're like, "Shit, man, we need a cop." <laughs> well, what kind of cop do you want? You want like a hard boiled like like asshole? Or like, nah, man, we want somebody that people like. They're like, mm-hmm. I want a teddy bear. <laughs> I want a real let, good... me, let, me, let me call my dude Reggie. Teddy bear cop, but you can see him on the streets. Yeah, yeah. He shot um, a kid, so man. I'm gonna I'm gonna put out some random trivia right now about Reginald. Um, so in his in the scenes in which. Bruce Willis is talking to him via walkie-talkie. When they were actually shooting them, Reggie was in on set talking to him. Okay, but when it came time for the inverse scenes where where Reginald is on the ground talking through a walkie-talkie to Bruce Willis's character, Bruce was not on set. Well, so Reggie actually has to act wow. his balls off because he has to remember what Bruce Willis said to him and remember all Bruce Willis's lines. Oh, I'm sure there was somebody reading off. Well, maybe you might be right. I right, mean, right. it wasn't Bruce, but you know, it's not the same like... thing though. So there's a, there's a level of right. You're weight. not getting anything back. Yeah. Right? There's a level of that. He has to carry their performance. They got a, they got a D list, um, soft porn actor named, named Spruce Chillis. <laughs> 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 he was yeah. just, he would just like, finally read, read my shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's some stand-in. That's probably, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, William Atherton was Richard Thornburg, an uh, arrogant reporter. And that guy also made a career of being an arrogant asshole. He was the DA in yeah, Ghostbusters. Or no, EPA mm-hmm. agent, that's right. Uh-huh. Who got uh-huh. them shut down. Yeah, there's a lot of asshole okay. actors in this movie. Holy shit. A lot of them. When we get to number yep. six, I, like, I physically cringe every time I see this man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Clarence uh, Gilliard as Theo, Han's tech specialist. I, I pointed him out because it's really interesting that the one guy who's smart with computers isn't white in this film because like or Asian, which is like as or, dumb as that joke yeah. is. But like, yeah, I thought it was actually brilliant mm-hmm. casting because it's a it's a, a varied cast of terrorists, you know, or thieves. This guy was in uh, what was the um, with Chuck Norris, the the Texas Texas Ranger. Oh yes, you are correct. Was he the deputy? Yeah, yeah. Son of yeah. a bitch! No I'm shit. His name. Walker's I never deputy. watched the show really. My wife did, but I didn't either. But I can picture it now. Yeah, that's awesome. Good job. Great. Good Walker Texas yeah, Ranger baby. reference. I like it. Right? That does not come <laughs> up often enough. That's a dusty old uh, chestnut, but it's a good one. <laughs> Uh, a Hart Bachner oh. as Harry Ellis, a sleazy Nakatomi executive who does cocaine on a regular basis. <laughs> wow, man! Like, <clears throat> so could I hate a guy more? Like, I don't know. <laughs> he is the te- the textbook definition of douchey uh, salesman. Mm-hmm. You know? I, f- I feel like that first scene you meet him when he just does that line of coke and he comes up and his his eyes are watering. His, you know, he's doing. All- I feel like they really let him take a line right there. <laughs> like, right? I, like you look at that guy, I was like, that dude just did a fucking story a line. Um, yeah, he's every time he's on the screen, you cringe like fuck. Hans, Bubby, yeah, oh, shut he's sitting on Holly right away. Piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so gross. Like, as a married man now, like watching that, I'm like, that you know that woman's right. married. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just so mm-hmm. low. Um. 
I, I should point out another random fact to go into right now and get it out of the way. This is the only thing about this actor um, that is kind of of note. He came up with that character. He came up with that douchiness on his own because he felt like that fit the the script better. Um, and McTiernan, the director, didn't like it. And he actually wanted him to play it super smooth and suave. Um, and the producers of the film watched the dailies and were like, like when he said that, he's like, I don't like this, but I need a second opinion, basically. They were like, no, this is awesome. He's hilarious. Yeah, like, he, I mean, he sold to, it, man. People are going right, to love right. hating this guy. Mm-hmm. And so he kept it in. Like, he had shot everything, and he wanted to reshoot it. And they and they said, no, it's great. Leave it as the way it is. The acting in this movie, like, for, for a big, dumb... I mean, aside from, like, the gunplay and stuff like that, the acting in this movie is so good that... And it's been, like, such a part of my life for so long. I... I realize it's a movie, but I kind of view it as like a history to me. Like, that's yeah. not supposed to be funny. Like, it's it's just to me, this is shit that happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so ridiculous. Like, I genuinely hate this guy. <laughs> right. There, everyone is acting their balls off. Like, yeah. it's pro status. Um, and and what's funny? Well, we'll talk about why that's kind of interesting because not this is a lot of firsts. There's a lot of firsts in this film for a lot of people that were involved. And it's kind of amazing that it has had the legacy it has. Um, so moving on, James Shigeta uh, was Joseph Takagi, uh, Nakatomi's head executive, who bites it mm-hmm. within like 15 minutes Spoilers. of the film. A very dramatic scene. Okay. Yep. Ah, it, wait. It, yep, it was yep. like 20 or 18 minutes into the film, that's when the first gunshots fired. You go 18 minutes before a gun goes off in this movie. <laughs> In an action yeah, film, they said yeah, the, they said it. There's yeah, a lot of do. setup. They do, they do a good job of, of making you feel some emotions before they you start sure, jumping into the action. You sure they don't they don't storm the room, shoot their guns at the ceiling before they shoot this guy? I want to check. Oh, they do that. That. Yeah, but I, I I know that it's I, I was first reading some gunshot, reading death. some trivia. Yeah, yeah. The first okay. the, well, the first gun goes off about 18 minutes into the movie. Oh, okay, not necessarily that shot. Okay, yeah. I got you. The first that's definitely the first death in the film oh, and yeah. it comes uh, at a bit of a surprise mm-hmm. and a bit of levity because right after he's shot um, uh, Theo hands uh, oh gosh what's his name the blonde giant blonde Carl? dude Carl he hands him some money so and that's what's kind of beautiful about oh, this movie yeah. there are things happening in the background yeah. that you don't even see like if, uh, multiple watches you realize like oh man they had a side bet going on that he mm-hmm. wouldn't give up or would or wouldn't give up the codes mm-hmm. And so, and that's not, there's nothing that tells you that. It just happens. And I, I, you got to kind of wonder, like, who came up with that idea? Was it them or was it the director? But that's, like, so cool because it just shows that these guys, I mean, it's kind of, it's drilled into your head so much throughout the movie just through their actions and through, like, the general storytelling, the general plot, that these guys are incredibly well prepared for this heist. But it just goes Mm -hmm. to show you that they've talked about it and planned it so well and so much that they had two goons, not the main guy, two of the goons were pacing fucking side Mm -hmm. bets. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and they had great. talked through the whole operation, yeah, to the point that they know exactly where they're supposed to be and exactly what they're supposed to be doing at any given time. It's like the best oceans movie. It kind of is, and um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then the last guys I want to mention just briefly because they're just so gross and disgusting as Robert Davi and Grand L. Bush. They appear as FBI special agents Big Johnson and Little Johnson, <laughs> yeah. respectively. Such a good but, joke! Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when uh, I think it is uh, Robert Davi says he gets on the phone to call in a helicopter and someone says it's he says uh, Agent Johnson and then he stops and says yep. no the other one <laughs> so good God my damn. favorite 
my favorite of their lines is when uh when the dude's fucking you know he's racking up his rifle and everything ready to go there in the helicopter and he's like just like saigon right and the other guy's like i was in junior high and dick. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so good so funny uh so wait wait wait, wait hold on hold on hold on this... we didn't talk about oh, okay. al we didn't talk sure. about some goons so al long the goon with the uh-huh. uh the fu manchu mustache He's a okay, classic, yeah, yeah. like he's like a stunt man that apparently they just grab in random spots. Um, he was uh-huh. Genghis Khan in um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You guys remember that? Oh yeah. no! So, yep. Or Genghis? How do you want to say that? I didn't look at Genghis. any of them because I he, he just basically gets shot in the in the chest. But like, he at some to point, your point earlier about those like the little things that you catch in the movie. Like he's going to guard the yeah. front door when they send up the troops. Uh, the policeman, oh, yeah. he's like he's like trying to grab some some candy underneath. The, he's like stealing candy, essentially while he's guarding the guarding the gu- the door, which is awesome. Um, it's so yeah, good. he's got a couple. He's got some some other bit parts around, but he's like the super scraggly dude. He usually has like an awesome death. I think he's in um, Big Trouble in Little China too. Um, so he's got some probably. Oh, yeah, I'm sure yeah, he's he got was. Some, yeah. some good parts. And then there was another henchman that uh, looked a lot like Christian Bale. I don't know if you guys when you watched it again, you noticed that, but. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah. It turns out it wasn't. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Another Aww, one. Carl's yeah. brother's name, is it Hans? No. His real name, I think, is Hans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he has the, they have that great interaction where you can immediately tell their personalities because he's busy meticulously rewiring the uh, the place so that they have whatever power they need to have. Mm-hmm. And Carl comes in, turns on a chainsaw, and he's like, nine, 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 and it's too late. And Carl starts mm-hmm. cutting the power yeah. with a chainsaw, and he has to quickly like rewire everything as fast as possible to maintain. Yeah, and he's uh, like whatever. utterly pissed afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They have a great relationship, obviously. Thanksgiving must be just super fun. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of production notes on this because this movie has a weird history. So this is where we're probably going to spend the majority of our time tonight. So Die Hard is based on a novel. Had no clue. I'm going to let that sink into you. No clue. It's based on a novel written by Roderick Thorpe. Um, It's in a series, the first of which being a, a book called The Detective which was turned into a film in 1968. So this is 20 years previously. That starred Frank Sinatra. Wow. No way. We need to, I need to watch box. this film just because I need to figure out like what is happening. It was a huge box, op- box office success. It made money. To the point of which, in the contract, if Thorpe was to ever write a sequel, they were Fox was trans... Uh, was uh, contractually obligated to give Sinatra first crack, yes or no, to star in the film. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. Do you know, you want to know another little tidbit? Because I just kind of skimmed your notes and I, I I skimmed it so I didn't see it. So just stop me if you yeah, do. Yeah, sure. Um, so at the time, shortly before uh, this movie was made, the rights to the movie based on, uh, the, the, you know, based on the novel um, that eventually became Die Hard were owned by Clint Eastwood. And he had, he had plans to make a movie and star in it, but ultimately, I, I guess that went by the wayside. I don't know where that where that ended up, but I know that at one point, uh, shortly before this was made, Clint Eastwood was planning on, on on being the diehard guy. Yeah. So, so Sinatra turns it down because he was seventy, or almost seventy at the time. Can you Just imagine? Wasn't for him. Can you imagine? Makes complete sense. It. Oh. <laughs> the character in the in the book, which is called um, "Nothing Lasts Forever," is supposed to be older. Um, have grandkids actually oh, okay. we'll get to that eventually too but um it kind of fits but I, it just i think it's a good choice 
So he turns it down. The story then changes to have no connection to the tech detective. They took the guy's name. They changed it. Um, they turned in. They wanted to turn it in. Supposedly, because this is a rumor, but there's a rumor that they're supposed to turn it into a sequel to Commando, mm-hmm. and it was going to start Arnold Schwarzenegger as a sequel. That has since been debunked by the writers, who said that that's just not true. They're not quite sure where that that whole thing came from. Um, so um, I'm just saying that, but I'm not. I'm not sure of the le- legitimacy. <laughs> so then they offered it to. Because they did offer it to, to Schwarzenegger. Arnold, or so, so Stallone, Harrison Ford, Don Johnson, wow. all of them turned it down. Okay. Wait, what? Was Don Johnson ever yeah. that big? Like, was this like his prime? Yeah. Right, right oh, here? Oh, yeah. Miami Vice. Miami Heat. Yeah, okay. yeah, Vice. Totally. Yeah, Miami Vice was huge. Or Vice, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, and then the other weird part is, like, D'Souza said, has said that he wrote the script to basically make Hans Gruber the protagonist. So the other part of the problem I think they had is most people looked at the villain role and were like, that's the better role. I don't want to play second fiddle to Interesting. to this other character. Because he basically said, like, if you're going to have a movie that is successful and be an action movie, like, the hero is awesome and should be a good character, but the villain needs to be better. And I think that that's actually a really interesting way to, to look at writing a film like this because I'll read the quote he said if he had not planned the robbery and put it together Bruce Willis would have just gone to the party and reconciled or not with his wife there's no story basically you should sometimes think about looking at your movie through the point of view of the villain who's got to drive the narrative and, and when you think about that from this movie and think about Hans Gruber as the star or as the, the catalyst it totally makes sense and this movie mm-hmm. becomes a totally different thing yeah wow. he's totally yep. badass in this movie like it's a great role this could just oh absolutely this could just be my like um, just my personality but I've always I think I think generally the villain in, in good movies or movies that I really enjoy the villain is almost way more interesting to me mm-hmm. Um, totally. like we were talking about the Matrix a lot earlier. Like Agent Smith, to me, oh, yeah. is a much more interesting character, even than Neo, like a hundred percent. You know, um, Darth Vader. They're, usually, you know the I mean? villains are the. Guy. I, I would, I would much rather, I would much rather hear about Vader than Luke Skywalker. The villains are the guys that you're wondering, right. like, what the hell's going on in their head? You know, versus the good guys, you, you assume they're always just going to try to save the day. But like the villains are the ones that do that double cross, and they're unpredictable, um, and, and have right. all that, have all those layers. That um, you know, at the end of the day, usually they're just evil, right? But there's more to it than that. <clears throat> they're like onions. Yeah, they're typically yeah, they're typically more <laughs> complex and have to be because but the hero you're going to get that whole story through the the writing. You know what I mean? Like it focuses most stories focus on the hero, and so you're going to learn their backstory and their motives and all of that kind of stuff is going to be mm-hmm. laid out for you. Whereas I feel like the villains in general, you don't get a lot of that. The that has to come across in the acting. So the 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 villain is generally a more complex and interesting character because you don't have all of that background laid. Or you out. get that in Star Wars Episode yeah. One through Three. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> oh, God. God damn it. Blasphemy. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I cussed out George Lucas last episode. Let's not do that again. <laughs> so, I, I, quick aside, this is why I always play villainous characters in video games. Just so you I mean, I play the good guy, but like if I have a choice to choose a bad guy, I will because always choose Because of Alan Rickman? Really? It's more interesting. Yeah. You know. He kills it. Hans Gruber is amazing. <clears throat> yeah. And you know, uh, well, <laughs> we'll get there. 
uh, about him. I, I, I'm going to save it. So let's talk about Bruce Willis for a second. Let's go back to the hero. He was paid $5 million to start in this film. It, he was unknown at this time. This is his first movie? I was like, going to ask that. He, this is his second film. Okay? Wow. He has started in... He, okay, so... He had only other starred in one film, and it was not very successful. It was just Blind Date, which we mentioned in the uh, Married with Children episode. Yeah, so it was Blind Date, which co-starred Kim Basinger, um, and and norm- so they normally only paid like major stars any kind of money like this. Like Dustin Hoffman made this kind of money at the time, and Warren Beatty. So he's getting paid five million dollars in his second film. And the reason they justified it is because um, 20th Century Fox president Leonard Goldman said that it was the film was reliant on its lead actor, while other sources within the studio would state that Fox was desperate for a star. So basically, Bruce Willis took the role and bent Fox over a barrel, money-wise. Hey. His agent must have been like, "Well, you don't want Bruce, you know? We can you can find somebody else," knowing that they hadn't found anyone. To His agent was actually Ellis from the movie. <laughs> yeah, booby, right. baby, they're they're like that. Yeah. Um. So they you know, actually, I have a further list here: Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, like you mentioned, Burt Reynolds was slated to play this, play John McClane at some point. Um, but the only person that would take the role was Bruce Willis, which is even luckier because he originally had to turn it down. Because it con- uh, the shooting schedule conflicted oh, with Moonlighting, which he was, he was the star right. of. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so luckily for him, Sybil Shepherd got all knocked up, and so they had to <laughs> postpone shooting season, the next season of Moonlighting for eleven weeks, which just so happened to be exactly the length of schedule they needed for Die Hard. God. See, I had I had heard it was meant to be. Yeah. I had heard also. I mean, a conflicting story, and I don't. I mean, it was just something I read. I had heard that he also, um, or alternatively would record moonlighting during the day, would shoot moonlighting, and then would come to the Fox set at night, because a lot of the shots were at night anyway, um, and, and did that for at least a period of time. Now, I don't know how true that is. Um, but either way, $5 million. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this is 1988 <laughs> money. That's asinine. Bruce Willis is one of those guys who I find it weird like that he's a Hollywood star. I have, I have nothing against him, but just looking at him and just... just um, I don't know, just like the way he acts, he's 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 fine, right? But like, it just seems like this guy's an actor. It's just weird to me. To me, to me, Bruce Willis seems like I know this phrase. This this phrase gets used all the time. Bruce Willis seems like the type of guy I want to right. hang out with. I want yeah, to drink a beer with right. Bruce Willis. You know what I mean? He's like he seems, he seems like he'd be a great he's just guy. A guy. He just it's just bizarre to that he's made all of his money and his fame off of acting when he's he seems like just a guy. You know, he's. Like so, when he says he's a New York cop in this film, I believe him. He looks like a yeah. schlubby cop. Like no, sure. Like I mean, like he's not out of shape, but he looks like he could be on the beat, walking the street, looking for for people to bust. You know, like I totally buy that, and I think that's why he's successful in general. Is he looks like a normal person? Yeah, he's not the greatest actor in the world, not by any means, but he pulls off an authenticity that no one else. Does can. anybody know mm-hmm. where he got the scar, like the on his shoulder? He had some. Some shoulder surgery, or something like that. Did you guys notice that watching it again? Yeah, I didn't notice that. Well, no. oh yeah, he's got a he's got an angry mm-hmm. scar on yeah. his shoulder. <laughs> huh? I have to look that up. Um, so it's funny. So the marketing campaign's initial billboards and posters, like, don't even have Bruce Willis on it because he's not 
No. He's not a star, so they couldn't like use him to market the film. So he's just nowhere to be found on original marketing materi- material at all. Um, so I, I want you know, speaking of like Bruce Willis kind of being a nobody at this point, I kind of wanted to ask you guys if there's anybody else like that we mentioned or maybe didn't mention at this time period that you would have maybe cast as John McClane. Mm. Hmm. Like I don't think Arnold no. works. I don't think I think Burt Reynolds might be the only person <laughs> that I kind of buy. Keaton? Burt Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Ooh. All right. Yeah, Keaton. I mean, I don't know. Because he has to be an he's a little too jokey, of, though. To some degree, which is why Bruce Willis is a good mm-hmm. fit. And he, he doesn't do... He's not that badass, except for when he fights one of the henchmen at the end. That's really when he actually... You know, he's got the bloody feet and all that. That's when he's really kind of like the action hero. But other than that, he's just kind of sneaking around the air ducts, wisecracking, and all that sort of stuff. So, like, a big action hero wouldn't make sense. So, like, the, the names you listed off, like Don Johnson and things like that, some of those actually do make sense to me. Um, but, you know, it's always hard to, to say, you know, once you once you have Bruce Willis in your head in that role to, to pull him out, who would you who would you throw in there? That's a tough yeah, question. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bruce Willis' scar came from uh, a surgery he had when he was 17 from a uh, complications that arose from a broken arm. That's oh, a wow. mean scar. Yeah, that's, that's a real ass, yeah, it's, it's huge and it is, like, mm-hmm. wide. Yep. Hmm. Huh. So, the other thing I was thinking about is he's a pretty short guy. I think he's mm-hmm. like 5'8". No offense, Brandon. Or Alex. I'm, um, I'm shorter than the, that. But the dude Damn who it. played Carl is huge. And they shot oh, around that big to. time yeah, in that fight scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, okay, here's the big thing we kind of paused about and didn't talk about. Alan Rickman. Okay. This is his first film ever. This is his first anything. He was not on TV or anything else. He was in stage plays. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he seems was... like he's definitely a classically trained actor. Like I. Oh, okay. yeah. But it's so... Yeah. I would never would have guessed he wasn't on film until he was 42. That's insane. 42 years old. First film is Die Hard. He first refused the role, but was quickly convinced to take it because he was like... Everyone's like, you turned down a role in a major motion picture. You've only been in L.A. for a few weeks. Right. You call them back up and you take, tell them you've taken that job. And he did. Yeah, the um, the writers, uh, or maybe it was director, um, they saw him at a play, and I don't have the play's name in front of me, but they saw him at a play and they were like, this is the guy. Like, this is Gruber. We got him. But that's interesting that he turned yep. it down because he probably it, was expecting more of a acting-type role, not an action film, right? Something where he can flex his acting muscles right. a little bit more. Amen. With an accent yeah, like he, that, he, he should be on TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was initially uh, turned off totally by being in an action film. Right. He thought yeah, it was for sure. For sure. Um, the other thing is, is he reportedly has said that he came up with the idea for Hans Gruber to wear a suit. That he thought mm-hmm. that if he was... This character was so professional about being a thief that he would treat it like a, yeah. a business. Yeah, and that opening scene, when they pull up in, in front of the building, you know, because you obviously know something something's going on when you're watching the film, but they're all business, man. They're all business. They just walk in and they're in their horde, take out that guard, mm-hmm. just go about their business, you know? They know what they're up to. Yeah. Yeah, and that whole um, conceit that Theo, they have this little acting thing where he's talking about the, I think it's a football game? The big yeah. basketball game. They're talking about a Lakers a basketball game. Like game? they just left the Lakers about... game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just like leans over the table and to distract the security guard and Carl just shoots mm-hmm. him just right in the pop. face. Just done. Just like, wow, that's sudden. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's the moment that the film it's really true. takes off. Right? It becomes something else because up until that point, you're not sure what it is. You definitely know that there's a cop involved and that there's some sort of 
issue with him and his wife, but I mean, it could be anything, you know, up yeah, until Bruce that. is having mm-hmm. that right. friendly banner with Argyle, you know, going into the yeah, and he's got his he's smoking in airports, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. carrying yeah. around big bears. Alex really wanted to smoke a cigarette after that through that whole <laughs> movie, man. <laughs> So, director John McTiernan, uh, who had just come off of directing Predator, another amazing action yeah. film, uh, did not want to have the villains be terrorists like they are in the book, um, considering them to be too mean and kind of unsympathetic. So, he chose to avoid the politics of terrorism in favor of making them thieves in pursuit of monetary gain, believing that the film would be more suitable for summer entertainment. And I 100% agree. Like, there's a levity involved with them mm-hmm. being thieves. And just in kind of in general, like what you were talking about, Colin, with um, the guy like taking candy and stuff like that, like little yeah. touches like that, and, and the the bet that while maybe like black comedy or dark comedy kind of alleviate the tension mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, so the film's ending had not been finalized by the time filming had begun, and one result of that being that the truck where the ambulance comes out of, if you look like really closely in the beginning scenes, it's not technically big enough to house another car inside of it. Right. Huh. So they changed that. <laughs> um, other so- scenes lack any context. Like uh, Degovia had the building uh, built the building's computer room before they knew what it'd be used for. In the scene where uh, the glass gets shot up, like they didn't they had that room, but they didn't know what they were going to do with it. Mm, um, That's huge. Yeah, the character of McLean of John McLean had not been fully realized until like halfway through production. So they're halfway through filming this and they still don't really know like what the motivations are for John McLean. Huh. Uh, it wasn't until uh, McTiernan and Willis decided that he was a man who like kind of didn't like himself very much, had low self-esteem, um, but was like trying to do the best he could in a bad situation. Um, which I think uh, that scene where he's in the bathroom by himself and like hits his head on the side of the, of the door mm-hmm. yeah. kind of, talking bad about himself like that was shot like one of the last things they did huh. to kind of give him this feeling of like man he's just a guy trying to figure mm-hmm. it out mm-hmm. yeah they do a really good he's job a guy who just puts his foot in his mouth like we all do they slowly unveil exactly. like that he um not that he was jealous but he but he didn't really want his wife to go off and have this great job and career um but and that's that's slowly revealed across the entire film um which is great which is really makes you feel that connection by the time you know he 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 is trying to save Holly at the end. You know, and and that's really what's driving him at the end there. He's a selfish man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and he learns throughout the film that he was wrong. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other thing is is that McTiernan um, was inspired to have this film take place in one night, um, a la Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, because in the original book, it takes place over three days, which is a very long period of time. Um, and this night must last like 16 hours. So. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a long, it's, a, it's a long time to be in a corporate headquarters, man. Three days, fuck <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, it would have been. I think it would have been way too long of a film uh, to last that long in, in time. So the corporate headquarters of 20th Century Fox, you might recognize because it is Nakatomi Plaza. Mm-hmm. They filmed this at corporate headquarters for 20th Century Fox oh, in LA. Um, external and internal. Uh, the time of the filming, the building was still under construction and the scene of McLean exploring an unfinished floor complete with construction equipment was actually real. That was a real nice. floor on mm-hmm. in that building. And they charged mm-hmm. themselves rent to use that space. They did. Like, yeah. which How They basically funny. paid themselves to make this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is incredible. 
That's some that's some amazing yep. book work. Yep. Um, the Nakatomi Building's 30th floor, where the hostages are held, was a recreation of Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water, which if Hell you're not yeah. familiar with, you need to go Google that right now. It is one of the most building most beautiful buildings on the face of the planet. You just need to look up literally everything Frank Lloyd Wright ever did. I am a, a Frank Lloyd Wright fanatic. I did a report on him in the sixth grade that lasted like 15, 20 minutes. Like, <laughs> in the sixth grade? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, nerd, dude. Nerd, nerd, nerd. I am a nerd. That's fine. Um, so, uh, Govia's inspiration came from Japanese corporations because at the time they were, in 1988, they were buying up a whole bunch yeah. of American it's products. Fucking Zaibatsu's, um, man. Yeah. So, the rationalization was that this Japanese company, Nakatomi, bought Frank Lloyd's Falling Water and then, like, disassembled it and put it inside of this building. This fake Nakatomi Plaza. Hmm. Um, so, Alex, you you probably know this too. So, the original logo for Nakatomi was the Manji symbol, mm-hmm. which a lot of people think is the swastika. It's actually the reverse swastika, which is a symbol of good luck and wealth. Which in is China, yeah. Which is the shape of a dungeon in the original Legend of Zelda yep. and the name of an enemy. Yep. Correct. Yep. Going yeah, calling back to the Legend of Zelda episode. Um, but everyone smartly realized that Americans would think that that's a swastika. Oh, well, the bunch of German dudes running yeah, around shooting people. <laughs> Funny thing about that. Yeah, it wouldn't really look very good. So they changed it to something that looks more akin to a samurai helmet, which is actually a really cool logo. Yeah. Very good stuff. Um, a 380-foot-long background painting was provided uh, of the city backdrop. Uh, viewed from the inside of the Nakatomi building's 30th floor, it actually featured animated lights and other lighting techniques to present both moving traffic and day and night cycles. And up until 2011, the Fox was still reusing that. That's awesome. Oh, that's dope. Films and, and TV. Yeah. Hey, man. I, that's like, you have to imagine they probably spent $30,000 yes. commissioning mm-hmm. that work, so they, they're going to get every penny back out of it. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it paid for itself like 100 times over. Uh-huh. Um, the scene in which the SWAT Greyhound knocks over a stair railing at the front of the plaza required months of negotiations with Fox to gain approval, which is still funny because they're negotiating with themselves, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the end of the uh, helicopter scene took six months of prep time, uh, and the production was given only two hours to film it. Oh, wow. On top of that, they had three attempts above the plaza, nine camera crews, and everyone within 500 feet of the line of the flight had to be an employee of Fox. Because they already signed their life away. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, if they died, they like there was, they weren't going to get much. <laughs> right. Um, the scene of John McClane falling down a ventilation shaft and catching onto a lower opening was the result of an accident after Bruce Willis's stuntman fell. Huh. Uh, but they chose. They really. They liked it. You know, it was kind of this moment again of humanization of this person. He's not a superhero. He makes mistakes, and he, you know, mm-hmm. he recovers. But he's not perfect. Yeah, because it's '80s Hollywood. Like the the good guy's gonna do okay. But <laughs> but yeah, that is cool, man. That's so. I love how he's um, a lot of cool when shit. he was climbing through the air duct originally. That brings me back to all the games that I played where you're climbing through an air duct and they're but they're massive <laughs> yeah. air ducts. We're just like you know climbing around that no problem. But this is an actual air duct. This is how it actually would be to climb through one of those things. Well, most of them right. aren't even that big. Like no. that's still an industrial right, size exactly. HVAC duct. Because you know? he has zero room. Like yeah. he barely fits into that thing. Yeah, it's all that. I love that line has. too. That's my favorite line. Uh, 
Come to the coast. We'll have some fun. That'd be great. Yes. <laughs> this is how TV yeah, dinner feels, that's huh? the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... This is a fun one. Um, there's little notes on Alan Rickman here, but this is my favorite one. He was dropped 70 feet on a green screen set for his death scene, you know, the famous one. Um, they used the first take because they didn't tell him they were going to drop him. Oh, so, so it was good. a real reaction. It was a real reaction. Oh, that's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. And 70 feet is that's a, a that's a drop. Ways. That's, yeah. Like yep. approximately seven stories as <laughs> they fucking drop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was... Uh, I, actually, going back to it, it's hard to believe that they let him do that stunt, but they needed the shot, and there's only a close-up that you could get from that. So that's great. It it wouldn't have the same impact if you saw some stunt guy falling like from behind or below. Mm-hmm. You, know, you really need that facial reaction of, "Oh my god, mm-hmm. I'm going to die!" You know, that's cool. Yeah, it wouldn't have the same reaction if it looked like a movie that came out uh, like 14 years later, and you go go back and watch Trinity's fall scene in fucking the Matrix mm-hmm. movie. It's CG is one of the worst things that's ever happened to Hollywood. Anyway, go on. <laughs> I agree. You need to actually drop people out of buildings, is what I'm saying. Seriously. Yeah. Or at least like 20 feet. Come on. Yeah. Um, the shooting script did not originally feature the meeting between McLean and Gruber pretending to be a hostage. So that even that even that whole thing. like So when they meet and he catches them on the roof, um, they only wrote it in because they found out that Alan Rickman could do a pretty convincing American accent, which is funny because later on, um, McTiernan has said that uh, he didn't think it was very good, like, watching it recently. <laughs> he actually could still hear some of the Britishisms in, in his speech patterns, which is true. Well, he kind of can. It's but very he, much he like that, a... He has that super iconic voice, though. That's another right. part of it. It's like yeah. Alan Rickman's voice is like, I don't know, Barry White and Kermit the Frog had a baby. <laughs> it's definitely a Southern California accent, and it's kind of like uh, it's it's decent. It took me a second with after they meet, and this last time I watched, I'm like, man, how does he not recognize his voice? And I kind of listen closer, and I'm like, I guess that's a, a you you can kind of get tricked by that because he's only he's never seen his face. He's, he's only he's also only ever heard him over a walkie talk. Exactly. <laughs> so and and another thought of mine was like when he's when he's watching them on top from the elevator shaft after he. Um, kills the the one brother and puts the mer- I, now I have a machine gun sweatshirt on him, you know. Um, I, was, oh, I, yeah. I thought he had seen them all through that, but I guess he doesn't. He just kind of when he's taking notes on their names and stuff on his arm. But I guess he never sees his face at that point. He never sees his face. And the other thing I was thinking about recently is I think that he kind of had a hunch the whole time anyway, because obviously he didn't give him a gun mm-hmm. with bullets in it. Yeah. Right? So that's what his thought process was probably like. This guy is weird. He sounds kind of familiar. He might be one of the uh, the the, ter- the thieves. Mm-hmm. You know? He put him through a series of tests too, because you, you could tell he was definitely skeptical before he handed him a gun. You know, mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite scenes from watching the, the movie recently. That that scene was like, ah, oh, this is great. I love this. You know, and just kind of seeing the the cat and mouse there going back. Do you guys have a, a favorite scene at all? Like, I don't know if anybody has something in mind already, but I feel like we should go around and talk about your favorite scene of the movie. My favorite, I'll, I'll just go first. My favorite scene in the movie is when he pushes the, the body out the window and it falls because my favorite line in the film to this day, and I, I use it on everyone as they become a new parent, is, welcome to the party, pal. Like, <laughs> that's great. just so that iconic. Right. Jamie, do you got one? No, I just love 
him talking to himself as he's climbing through the the, the ducks. ducks and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. The, that that is just such a human like talking yourself through this whole ridiculous like. But he does it all throughout the whole film. He I mean. does, but I mean, but every time it's like, the, what am I doing with my life right, right. now? Like, yeah. what is happening? How did I end up in this mm-hmm. effed up situation? And it's just, it's just brilliant. Alex, I really like what about that. you? Um, my favorite scene, hands down, is uh, where he's tending the wound on his foot and pulling the glass out and washing it. It's a big and he has chunk like, of glass. Oh like that, that, yeah, and he has that like he has that like breakthrough, and he's like, you know, hey man, you need to tell my wife, blah 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 blah. That's that's. Mm-hmm. Hands down, my favorite scene. You'll get to tell her later. Me right. with you. Yeah. What you got? Um, I don't know if I have like an, an actual like like super favorite scene. I think I guess it's the one I, I just mentioned when he after he, he kills the the one brother and and dresses him up in that sweatshirt and takes his gun and he kind of <laughs> that's how he kind of shows that he's that he's in the building and that he's serious. You know that now I have now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! Like that's hilarious. That's that's good to me. The other, the other a couple other um, things that I noticed because it's just super fresh in my brain um, is when he's going up and down the the stairs. <laughs> Um, the utility stairs, whatever you call them. Um, and he, he keeps peeking in and, like, seeing somebody. Like, is nobody really seeing him? You know, I don't want to go through the whole, like, is it realistic <laughs> or not? But he's, like, he's opening the door a good, you know, six inches, peeking his head in and seeing mm-hmm. what's going on. And they're just all, you know, going about their business, um, you know, moving the C4 around, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you this. Yeah. My least favorite part of this movie, um, and if I had, if I had not seen this movie until recently, I'd probably... I, w- I know I would like it a lot less if I didn't outright dismiss it, is, like, the entirety of the gunplay through this thing. Sure. Because every fucking dude is walking around like an old-school 1930s detective with, like, their gun at their fucking waist, like, hip-firing. Mm-hmm. You know what uh-huh. I mean? And it's yeah. a combination of that and, like, the absolutely non-tactical maneuvers and the fact that, like, these MP5s have infinite yeah. ammunition. Like, all that kind of <laughs> shit is kind of horrible, but it plays perfectly to the late-80s action right. movie. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, right. it, it works out. And the only person with an AUG is uh, Carl. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But there is an AUG in this movie, that which is, is like, dope. super yeah. dope. Yep. Yeah, they, they gave him the most iconic weapon, for sure. Yeah. I, Other than the Beretta, but, you know. The only cringy part to me is how dismissive the 911 dispatch is to yeah, him. Yeah, that was bad. Like, shut yeah. the, come yeah. on. Right? No one would oh, do terrible. that. I accidentally called 911 once as a kid and was like, uh, 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 and hung up, and cops came to my house. Yeah. Like, don't fucking, don't Like, seriously, me. they're not dismissive <laughs> whatsoever. Especially if you reach them on an emergency channel. <laughs> like, fuck They hear off. gunshots in the back. Yeah, exactly. Send out one car. Exactly. But I guess, I guess, I guess the mentality is like LA, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The other part is I love it when Reginald, like, you first meet him and he's, like, grabbing the Twinkies, like, yeah. by the handful. Right. And the guy's like, I thought you guys like donuts. And he says, it's for my wife. She's pregnant. Uh-huh. Sure. Which you find out later that he does have a pregnant wife. Right. Cool. I know. But he does know every though. ingredient in those Twinkies. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He's read them, the back of them, apparently, multiple times. So. What else do you do? Dude, this is pre-cell phones. What else do you do when you're on the toilet? That's the it's other true. thing. Are we going to talk point. about technology at all? Um, you know, it's funny. There's not a lot of technology in here except for the computer mm-hmm. stuff, which is always really bad. But that was um, super advanced for the granted, time, right? And usually is in these, in these yeah, touch really movies. Was. They usually throw, especially when they're trying to be like current times technology. It's usually like like only like one company in the world actually has that type of technology, you know? So like the touchscreen stuff and then this crazy vault that they got to get into. And, you know, they had like the portable TVs and stuff like that. Um the, the security camera stuff is what I noticed this time watching it. it was like, because as a cop, 
John McClane is looking around going like, oh, wow, they've got like every angle covered except for that one angle where you've got the security guy hiding in the uh, in the elevator shaft. Like, uh-huh. I kind of feel like that guy's hanging there because he knows it's a blind spot. Oh, kind of yeah. Thing. yeah. Or maybe yeah, I'm yeah. wrong. But because uh, John kind of gives him the eye like, huh, you're you're standing there for he a reason. He looks sketchy. You know, he, yeah, and he's also just, you know, he's he's looking at everybody and, and eyeing them up and weighing them. That's what cops do, you know. Yep. Um, much like me, I was figuring out if I could fight somebody or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I did want to be a cop when I was like five, but that ended pretty quickly once I realized what that actually meant. No, thank but, you. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I did notice that too. Like, it's actually pretty realistic. It's not too far mm-hmm. advanced. The the haptic touchscreen was is probably the most thing that pe- got people at the time of being like, "Wow, that's pretty cool," you know? Yeah. Or or outside the realm of potential possibility. I mean, it was definitely the car there. phone. The car phone, yeah. We got tape. We got we got cassettes. Yeah, we got VHS. We got car line. phone. We got. That's a great line. <laughs> it all comes down to packing tape, though. Mm-hmm. Still, in the end, <laughs> it's not duct tape, though. I wish it was duct tape. Duct tape solves everything. Uh, so the last production mo- uh, note that I have here is. Uh, the fact that the script revisions, because they were still writing this during production, were so numerous that they ran out of colors. So normally, back in the day, I don't know if they still do this, but they do colored revisions. So you get like red sheets. Like today, like we have new pages. The new pages are in red. They had so many revisions that they didn't have any more colors to choose from. <laughs> infinite colors, and they ran out. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's yeah. really crazy. There's only, only, only so many shades of green you can throw at people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, they're on the green pages. No, not not the fucking no, not the Viridian pages. Okay, <laughs> are we the on green aqua pages or teal. Like yeah. these ones are puce. Is that purple <laughs> or green? I can't figure it out. Uh, anyway, uh, other so going back to this being based on a book, I wanted to kind of go through some of the changes. We may have mentioned some of them um, and the similarities between the book because they're pretty in line for the most part. But here's the changes. The hero's older, and he's actually, uh, his name's Joe Leland, not John McClane. Um, it's his daughter, not his wife. Her last name is Gennaro. She is married, but not to him, obviously, because she's his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the Nakatomi Corporation. It's the American Claxon Oil Corporation. Um, the terrorists, like we said, are thieves um, that are after the $460 million um, in negotiable bearer bonds kept in the building's vault. Um the film, they're they're not just Germans. They're like a multitude of ethnicities and backgrounds. But in the in the in the book, they're all German or of European descent. Um, and the the novel is a lot darker. It's got like a whole bunch of themes of guilt and alcoholism and the complexity of the disturbed human mind. Hmm. And, and also, there are female terrorists in there too. So they took all that out. It's a little too dark. It, they made it lighter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ending of the story is also different in that, like, you're not actually sure if the protagonist is alive. Like Joe Leland, the John McClane character in the book, could technically be dead, and you wouldn't know. Hmm. Um, but there's a lot of similarities. Um, the jumping off the exploding roof with a fire hose attached to his waist, and then Amazing. shooting, and then shooting through the window. Which, by the way, that's the first thing they ever shot. Really? In this film. They decided to shoot that first, 
And after they did it, Bruce was like, that was really dangerous. Why did we do that first? And they said, well, because if you died, we could still shoot the rest of this <laughs> Real talk. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, real talk. <sighs> um, the scene where he drops the C4 down uh, the elevator shaft and blows up that whole floor. That was in the book. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That was in the book. Um, the taping to the gun is actually in the book. Huh. Yeah, and to his back. Yeah. Um, and then him ca- crawling through the elevator shaft is also in the book. Yeah, that so. that scene with the C4, we should talk about how that was pulled off because that's like one of the coolest things ever. So they used, um, they didn't. Uh, so they used a miniature for for an actual explosion, right? They they made a miniature, much like you know they always do with those practical effects kind of situations. For that exterior scene you're talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. For that exterior yeah. scene, they apparently uh, gathered a very specific type of light bulb, gathered all of the very specific type of light bulbs they could get their hands on in the greater LA area uh, and wired them all up on the exterior of this building and uh, basically overloaded and blasted them all at one time and blew them all out to make the flash for the exterior shot. And then for the actual explosion, the fire and stuff, they used a miniature. Very cool. Yeah. Huh. Pretty pretty neat shit. So, so was the, Uh, was the ending the same? Cause that end, that end. No, they're totally I, I, different. The end was rough oh. for me. I'm sorry, guys. Like where the the guy that he was fighting with that he hung all of a sudden is alive yeah. and comes out and just decides like he doesn't try to escape. Like he doesn't try to go out, you know, like out the back door. He's just gonna just murder somebody. And he just he just well, he killed his brother. <laughs> he true. His brother that he didn't really revenge. like. He's supposed to be a smart terrorist guy, right? Ugh. Hey man, hey man. 80s. You saw Turtles 2, didn't you? You yeah. know what happens. Yeah, yeah, I know. The bad guy always comes back, man. You always got to kill the bad As guy As a twice, whole, man. I really enjoyed the movie, but that ending was like, ah, that was a little, yeah. Okay. Well, plus, you know, the 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 rule of any writing is if you, if you show a gun in a scene on the mantle, you have to use that gun at some point in the story. And, and I use that analogy because they, Al mentions that he shot a kid. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's got basically a super yeah. easy, not desk job, but like patrol job, mm-hmm. where he's not really supposed to be encountering any criminals. And so you have to put him in a position later on in the film at some point to. Yeah, face he that. says he says like I'll butcher the quote, but he says almost verbatim like that's why like I can't bring myself to draw my gun on another person again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they set it up. They definitely set it up, but it's super cheesy how they pulled it off at the end. Anyway. I agree with you. It really is, but you know, that's part of that's that's. I I just chalked it up to that's that's mm-hmm. the eighties, man. That's late. It's 80s. part of his charm. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is the weak. I think it's the weakest part of the film yes. for sure. So yep. I'll give you that. Uh, so let's talk about box office, guys. It opened in twenty one theaters, and it earned uh, six hundred one thousand eight hundred fifty one dollars. Uh, about eh, a little less than twenty. $9,000 per theater. Uh, open worldwide on the 22nd of 1988, of July. Um, earning $7.1 million, an average of about $5,500 per like theater. And then, no, I know, it finished the weekend number three film. By the time it, it ended its theatrical run, though, it had earned $83 million in North America. Nice. And a further 57.7 in international markets. So it was a slow so, burn, kind of, or like a... Took some word of mouth to get around. People would go to see it. Yeah, I mean, the 80s are a different time. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, people literally had to go to theaters to sell movies to them, or at least to, if they had multiple theaters under one corporation, like, somebody had to physically go there and be like, you should play this movie in your theater, here's why, it's amazing, and, you know, actually do those selling. And film advertising is different, too, because unless you lived in a major city and saw theatrical posters on the subway or, you know, wherever else... I mean, the only way the only way you really learned about movies was if it had an extensive cable TV marketing campaign. If you watched cable TV in the late '80s, and also um, when you're in the movies, seeing, seeing the previews, seeing, you know, yep. trailers, previews, yeah, previews and trailers. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, the film received uh, so actually, so let's let's talk about the budget. I think it had a twenty-eight million dollar budget, or a little bit over. So it made its money back, you know, four times over. So, mm-hmm. we're, you know, investors are like, ha, 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 this is great because uh, we spent $28 million, We probably wrote off a good 8 maybe 10 because we right. rate ourselves for this film. <laughs> and now Bruce Willis's going rate is at least $5 million. So Exactly. Yeah, he basically wrote his own ticket. Uh, it received positive reviews from critics for the most part. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it a less than flattering review, rating it a mere two stars and criticizing the stupidity of the deputy police chief character, claiming that by all by himself, he successfully undermines like half the movie, which is totally true. true. That's like the legitimate complaint. But at the same time, like it, you always have to have that guy, you know, otherwise the film would be over. Like he would, they would solve all the problems. He did later. Uh, he did later retract that statement. He, or, or go back on that and was like, you know what? Actually. Okay. Not yeah, that bad. I'll t- I'll take back and give you what what one of my favorite lines is is when the FBI show up and and uh, Al <laughs> says and and FBI are here. He's oh really FBI here? And Alex says you need a breath mint. <laughs> 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 he's all the dude. The yeah guy's all like it's fixing such, his coat up. Such and, a like, straight face like, look. Yeah. He just looks at him. You need a breath mint. <laughs> like it's so good. When when the car there's some point at which the FBI show up and I can't remember what happens. I think. Something blows up, and they're running down this hill. There's a sideline comment that the, that, that same actor makes, or the, the deputy chief, police chief character. And he says, um, I'm going to have to explain this to the mayor. And it's like, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just throwaway little nothing. He's kind of like off camera when he says it. You could tell it's him because of his suit and his voice. But it's just like, that's just a little extra touch to show you, like, this douchebag only cares about himself yeah. you know like he's so oh, so i got another yeah. one uh speaking of the the bit part actors is when they're cutting the power you remember when they're cutting the power yeah. oh yeah the, oh, guy, the guy, guy yeah. that's cutting the power and it's in the manhole he's the guy from groundhog groundhog day he's the drunk that's yes yeah you're right he's, you're right yeah. and he's got a lot of little bit yeah, parts yeah, too yeah. he's one of those faces you see like i've seen that guy in 20 mm-hmm. movies Yep. Uh, so the film was nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Sound Editing, wow. Best Film Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Visual Effects, and uh, the score actually earned a, a BMI TV Film Music Award in 1989. I didn't really like the score. It got nominated. I didn't really like it. We're going to roll into it. it was, I don't know. I felt like it yeah, needed to be more, we'll talk about it. more of a modern... Maybe maybe I'm just used to more modern movie soundtracks, but the, the classical orchestra just wasn't wasn't doing it for me. Oh man, I, I was. I, so were you? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's it's Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is kind of the it's the Ode to Joy is kind of the main theme of the film. Um, it's like it's kind of hidden and in different guises throughout, mm-hmm. um, mostly as a motif for Hans Gruber, the terrorists. Uh, thematic versions of Singing in the Rain are featured in the film as a theme for uh, Theo specifically. He sings it a couple times. Um, 
McTiernan also said that he incorporated those themes into the film soundtrack as an homage to Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange because he loves that film and most people who are really into film also love it so it makes sense um, and he kind of based his theme around uh, variations of well-known pieces as a conceit that, uh, that I guess came in also did the soundtrack for Brazil so he kind of is kind of playing on the same things that he's used to so this guy's done some kind of thematic stylings in other films and he has kind of played on yeah. that again so Cayman I don't know if you had read this or not but Cayman had like an objection to using Beethoven in mm-hmm. an action movie uh, yeah he was he was not down with that um, but then when um, when McTiernan had told him that uh, or sort of reminded him like yo this was you know Kubrick did this in A Clockwork Orange he was like alright dog I got you <laughs> yeah pretty much if Stanley Kubrick's done it like you really can't argue with it yeah we could do a whole episode, technically not in our time period. I mean, he did release some films in you know the 80s and 90s, but I, get, I could probably do four episodes or five just talking about how crazy Stanley Kubrick is. Yeah. The Shining in particular. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Um, so the film has a Christmas setting. This is where we're going to get the Christmas stuff. It score also features sleigh bells and some cues, as well as Christmas pop standard Winter Wonderland, two 1987 pop songs, um, I use the source music one near the beginning of the film. Yes. Then Argyle plays uh, Christmas in Hollis, which is performed by Run DMC, which is funny because you know, uh, Bruce Willis says, can we play some Christmas music? And Argyle says, this is Christmas music. Yeah. Right. Uh, and later while talking on the phone in the limousine, he's listening to Stevie Wonder's Skeletons. Uh, and the end credits of the film begin with the Christmas song, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. Performed by Van, or excuse me, Vaughn Monroe, and concludes with Beethoven's Ninth Symphony yet again to kind of you know wrap up the theme and and, and whatnot. So. so when Stevie Wonder's Skeletons is playing, that is directly after um, after a line by Bruce Willis where he says, "Who's driving that car, Stevie Wonder?" And then it right. you know boom, there's you know Stevie Wonder's playing. Nice. Um, so good, man. All right, so, so good. this is not a Christmas movie. Yeah. This is totally what? a Christmas movie. It takes place at Christmas. Yes. I know, but it's I don't not understand about why it was Christmas. released in July. It doesn't yes. have to be about Christmas. It is at Christmas. To be yeah, a, Christmas a Christmas movie, movie, it needs to be about Christmas. It just happened to be Christmas, well, Christmas during this movie. It is. It's about a cop trying to come home yeah. and mm-hmm. see his family. From, well, when I say come home, he's not coming the home. The reason he's, he's coming he's home traveling across is the because coast. it's Christmas. Right. And, and he gets it's waylaid. Set at a Christmas party. Yeah. And it's he, at a, the whole Christmas thing takes place at a Christmas party. There's multiple Christmas references. Christmas music throughout. Oh, yeah. Someone says ho, ho, ho. It's not, it's, not, it's not about Christmas. I got a machine gun There's now. No Santa. Ho, ho, ho. There's no Santa in this movie. There's no presents. <laughs> there are There's Santas no presents in the movie. In this movie. There's no... He brings a teddy bear on the plane Holly for his Holly got a Rolex as a present. It's true. That's true. Yeah. Or she lost it God at the end, it. but who cares? Well, yeah. I need to think about this more. It, it, one could argue that Bruce Willis delivers like a whole lot of presents in the form of uh, 40 Let. caliber rounds. <laughs> That's true. A lot yeah. of dead guys. <laughs> so, um, similarly to Aliens, which came in also did the score for, it's heavily edited. So there's music samples looped over and over again with cues. Like we're talking about the sleigh bells. See? Sleigh bells. Christmas. <laughs> all the time. It continues. Um... So, look, th- these are all things that are there. So let's talk about the, the legacy of this film, because it spawns sequels, which mm-hmm. we probably will end up having to do at least two of. 
um, for the show eventually. Not for a while, because they're not nearly as important as this film. Die Hard 2, still have never seen that, so for me that's going to be a new experience. I haven't seen any of them. <clears throat> and Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is pretty good. It's got Samuel L. Jackson in it. Um, I like that film. I and then <laughs> I think I've Live seen Free that or one. Die Hard, which came out. Yeah. I've seen that one. It's not very good. Horrible. PG-13 is terrible. Ugh, yeah, I think he says um, when he's about to say yippee mother, and then it, it cuts to an explosion. Mm. Yeah, or a gunshot. Or, yeah, some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Assholes. Uh, and then A Good Day to Die Hard, which came out uh, three years ago, 2013, which I haven't seen, and I probably won't. Why? Why? Leave it alone. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, I, I mean, I want to talk about everything after this became... Die Hard on a bike. So basically, they took mm-hmm. this film and used it as an allegory for every single action movie that came out afterwards that had a plot that was anywhere close to similar. So it was like Die Hard on a train, Die Hard on a mm-hmm. boat, Die Hard in space. Um, it just became like when you talk about films, it, like we talk about music, like you say, uh, they kind of sound like the Red Hot Chili Peppers meets Blink One Eighty Two. Like mm-hmm. that that movie, this movie became mm-hmm. the or the Metaphor. the phrase that gets uttered quite literally once a second in your city, Caleb, which is, well, we're kind of like the Uber of whatever. Right. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Die Hard became the encapsulation for an entire genre of plot and film. You got Die Hard on a bus here for speed. I love that movie. So, Holy shit. Yeah, I die love hard speed. On the plane. It's probably because it had a plot. Whereas so many other action movies, like you, like this is an eighty eight, like there's so many action movies coming out this time, but this one actually does a good job of character development, I making think, you feel, yeah. you know, feel something for, um, you know, the people that are in, that are the, even the villains. You're kind of like trying to figure out who they are um, versus just explosions and bullets and you know chaos. Like there's actually some it had a tangible plot. Right? Had something like going on that you really kind of cared about. You legitimately did not want Gruber to find out that Holly was his wife. Right. Yeah. Like right. when that happens, you're like, oh shit, that sucks. And like, so you you tangibly kind of carry about this like the the plot going on behind it because it's just you're really in the Christmas spirit while you're watching it. <laughs> yeah, I Colin. think this is maybe like the the shell. It's like a shell game, right? So we're seeing a plot within a plot within a plot. Mm-hmm. The subplots are constantly running the threads and creating tension in scenes that otherwise would be kind of boring. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, because uh, once once like every time that Hans Gruber is inside uh, Holly's office, you're like, oh, is this when he's going to yeah. find out that, you know, he's going to lift that that uh-huh. photo up and see John McClane and maybe know that that might be the guy who he's looking for or or not. Oh, shit. You know? I've only seen it three times. I just realized that she turns that picture down early on in the movie. Uh huh. Yeah. And that's sitting right yeah. there the whole time. Son and, of a bitch. Yeah, I mean. Going back to the Rolex, like they mentioned at the very beginning of the film, uh, when she comes into the office and he's met uh, Coke doer guy and uh, yeah, Ellison Tagashi Takashi Takashi. Um, he says, "Ella says, show him the the watch," and she says, "Oh, and it's it's nothing." And he goes, "I'll see it later," and and then Ella says, "It's a Rolex." kind of like bragging about it mm-hmm. right. and they kind of move on. But that's the thing that Hans Gruber is holding on to yeah. in the final scene Fuck, before he falls. And yeah. And, and he unlatches it. Bruce Willis does. And it slides off her hand. So she loses the gift. Right. 
Oh, that's crazy. The big gift is gone. Yeah. The, right. The, but it saves her life. The Christmas gift. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. So, I don't um, know, guys. Did you guys ever play any of the... Uh, did you guys ever play any of the um, tie-in games for the Die Hard franchise? No. no. Video games? They're, a bo- they're horrible from what I understand. Yeah. Um, we had an arcade machine. I used to work in an arcade for a while. And uh, we had a Die Hard arcade machine. Um, it was not good. It's not is a good a... thing. But I will say so I... this. So, I was going to say, is there, a, is there a Die Hard pinball game? Because I bet you that's awesome. Probably. Oh, there is. Yeah, I've played it. Um, I will say this, though. Die Hard's, um, Die Hard's impact on the video game world is not necessarily uh, from its licensing as, as, as its own titles. Um, it's more that Hideo Kojima looked to Die Hard almost like almost verbatim as to how to make um, hiding and maneuvering around a 3D space seem realistic and interesting. Um, so really? if you look at things like the air duct scenes where you're crawling through the air ducts or where like, he has like move from cover to cover and yeah. avoid all these guys because he's one guy trapped in an area, that's almost the entire... I mean, aside from the story being completely different, that's almost the entire theme of uh, Metal Gear Solid. It is. That's crazy. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm remembering playing scenes crawling through... Ducks in Metal Gear Solid. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And hiding from dudes <laughs> who, like, if they find you, like, you're fucked because you're just one guy. Like it, and it's and it's all in kind of this semi-futuristic sort of like eighty, like eighties, nineties idea of the future kind of building. Like it's, huh. it's there. It's so cool. Well, he loved um, Escape from New York too. So oh, I mean, there's a lot oh, of influences yeah. there as well. Oh, but yeah. yeah, I can see it's like a it's like a weird melding of those two movies plus a couple other things as well. Heat, yeah. Heat. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Heat. Can't wait for that episode. Love that movie. So good. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Because, I mean, the last thing I have on here is, like, this film has been on so many best of lists. It's kind of a cult film because it didn't really get a lot of accolades at the time. Best but, action films, not best you know. Christmas films, right? <laughs> I, I definitely put it in a top 20 Christmas films, at least top 10. Mm-hmm. We, we'll, yeah. we'll need to talk I mean, about that at some point. You're gonna wa- you're gonna watch it every December now from now on out, Colin. I swear to I do. It's not. I said it before the show, man. It is not Christmas until Hans Gruber falls out of that fucking tower. That's right. Uh, Christmas Story is probably my top number one, but this is maybe like, yeah, this is probably number two. What's your so Christmas Story is your your best? What what's your number one Christmas st- movie, Colin? That's how we'll end it out. Oh, it's uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, baby. All right, that's a great one, mm. Alex. What about you, Jamie or Jamie? All right, let's go, with Jamie first. Good one, yeah. My favorite Christmas movie? I, Come on. Uh, it's probably a Christmas geez. movie. That one's great. I know. Uh, no, I think the original uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, oh, the like, Clay Machine-y style oh, yeah. one. Mm-hmm. I Classic. love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alex? Yeah. What's your um, I I mean, I, not even for the sake of the show, like I'd have to say it's Die Hard. Um, really? I don't, I don't cheer. I don't get excited about any other Christmas movie like I do with Die Hard. When I watch this movie every time, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> get him. Like, it I pumps just, you up, man. Yeah. I, feel, I feel so pumped every time. Yep. Cool. Mine, my other annual Christmas watch is It's a Wonderful Life. Sucker for that. All I right. love that movie. Right. It's classic. It's a good watch. As my favorite, nostalgically, um, Mickey's Christmas Carol as a kid. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Kiss love it. Christmas. Love it. I just like, actually, you know what? I really like the um, the Muppets Christmas Carol. Yes. That's mm. a really good. More than Mickey's? Oh. 
More than Mickey's. I like, I'm a sucker for Muppets. So when it comes to so. Christmas stuff, I prefer episodes of shows that I liked over like most movies. I'm not a really big fan of most Christmas movies. But like when it, when a show that Star I like Star Wars does... special. Oh Jesus <laughs> fuck! But like when a when a, when a show or that I especially like cartoons I was watching as a kid does a Christmas themed episode I used to always love that that was great. Nice, yeah, cool. All right, all right, guys, that's uh, it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Go out and watch Hans Gruber fall off that tower, and we'll be right back with some crypto geekology. Yippee ki yay, Mister Falcon. And we're back once again with a week in which certain someone who shall remain nameless for a while uh, is in the lead in our trivia, which we call Crypto Geekology. And Jamie is our Crypto Geekologist who's going back and making trivia for us. And I'll just, you know, talk about the standings real quick. You know, I have (laughs) 21 points. Uh, Not like it's a big uh, deal or anything. Uh, Next in line would be Brandon with, you know, 15 it's only six less than mine, but whatever. <laughs> wow. Uh, then Alex with 13, you know, not going to make any comments. And Colin <laughs> with 11. Is this our last Is this our last one? Is this our last show? Two it more. Is our last one. Is it... Two more. Oh, one more? One more. Next week. Two more? The New okay, Year's. New Year's next week, yep. You guys better do some work tonight. That's all I got to say. <laughs> oh. Yeah. The may, gauntlet has been be thrown down. How many possible points? 12? Is that... Oh, no, it's no, eight categories, so, so 16 I mean, technically, yeah. It could happen. It could totally happen. Totally. totally. I could lose. There's hope. There's hope for you There's young hope. ones yet. <laughs> so, Jamie, tell us what our topics are for the week. Topic gals. Uh, we've got movie quotes, 80s, non-sports, sci-fi, comics and books, fictional lands, music, and video games, as always. Colin, God damn it, I don't want first. I don't want to choose. Um, I'm going to pick... <laughs> well, just remember, you let me choose last week, and it, it did it not just, go well for me. It, it, it's so. just not to work out for me. It's usually, I know I know the question, one or two of the questions, but I never pick that one or two questions. So, um, Right. I will pick... Let's start with movie quotes, because I don't want Brandon to end on that one. Movie nice. quotes. Dude, seriously, thank you. I love you. <laughs> Colin must be in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> Name that movie. What are we going to do? The question isn't, what are we going to do? The question is, what aren't we going oh, to do? Boy. Wow. Um, Sounds so vague. It's like something where the parents are gone or... Uh, oh, is it, let's go with Fer- Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> yeah! Wow! Nice. nice. Pull. There we go. Got one. Heck yeah, Colin's up to 12. Woo! <laughs> hey. Alex? Oh, yeah, man. Um, let's go... Um, let's do sci-fi. Sci-fi. Which of these is a real name of a British 80s sci-fi film? Shit. Mm. All right, here we go. Here are your options. Galactic Geeks Get the Girls. Morons from Outer Space. It never rains on Uranus. 
There's only three? Brandon, One of those Brandon. is the real name of a British 80s sci-fi I could steal Caleb yeah. after Brandon. What was the second one you said again? Morons from Outer Space. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with option C. It never rains on Uranus? Yeah, that's my choice. No, that that is not a real sci fi film. Oh. I had to, had, to, had to lean into the joke, man. I love I know. I love so that though. Jamie had to make that name up. Did you? Right. For, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Oh, I All was right. like, God, that's you're great. You're great at this. No, oh, I wish. All right. Then yes, yes, I did make <laughs> so all of those. There was the the nerds get the the geeks get the girls or the galactic geeks get the girls or morons from outer space. I'm going galactic geeks get the girls. God, you guys are the worst at this. God damn it! No, no points awarded. Cool names. Mm. The the lamest name is, I know. The, is the right answer. I know. I love it. I would totally watch that movie too. Galactic geeks Fuck get yeah. the girls. Yeah. Man. Well, there's that movie, um, Earth Girls Are Easy. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Jim Carrey. No. And um, Jeff Goldblum. Yep. Oh. oh yeah. hey. I missed that one. It's bad. Mm. That doesn't surprise me. I don't think Morons from Outer Space did very well at the box mm-hmm. office. Oh, I'm sure it was so. horrible. There's that. All righty, Brandon. All right. Um, give me... I'm going to do video games. Video games. Of the following Super Mario games, the best-selling version of the 1990s was Mario World, Mario Kart, Mario Land, Mario All-Stars. Caleb. Super. Mario World, Mario Kart, Mario Land, or Mario All-Stars? One of those was the best-selling version in the 1990s. I'm going to go with... With Mario Kart, because it's the most, like, I think people even didn't want to play Mario, wanted to play Mario Kart. Nope. God damn it. I quit. That's all right. That was my first guess, too. I'm going to go Super Mario All-Stars. That would be wrong. Okay, I want to try this with Super Mario World. That is correct. Oh, man, that was my first one, too. Alex got four. Good job. Cool. All right. I will go with my strengths. I'm going to go with comics and books. Comics and books. Comics. The original drafts of Superman before he became the hunky superhero we know him as, uh, there were two major differences. Wow. From the superhero we know now. <clears throat> I know one. The original draft. This is not released to the public? No, it would have been his like origins, like the initial I know that, initial But release. I know there's artwork. Of the original, so okay. okay. These are just the, the drafts, though. Oh boy, I bet I know Not one a huge Superman fan. I'm going to guess that he was blonde. No, mm-hmm. good Thanks. guess. Mm. So we just got to get one of them. There was. Do we just got to get one of them? Um, the steel has to be both. Oh come on, brutal. Come Sorry. On. <laughs> It's obviously that um, right. originally Superman was Haitian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Um, okay. I, okay. So these, these are physical wanna... attributes? Is that what the question was? Uh, Let me read the question. There are two significant differences between the draft version and oh, okay. what we know as Superman now. Okay. The f- one of them is that he couldn't fly. He could only jump. That is correct. And another one. God, come on. How come I got to get both of them? Oh, I can steal, right? <laughs> um, 
And the other one is that he, man, I used to watch those old cartoons because the stuff was in the old cartoons. You couldn't fly in those old cartoons. Yeah, I was going to say, the jumping thing is, that was legitimate. Well, she's saying, like, but now he can fly. She's saying, what's the major difference is how we know him now. Oh, versus how he originally. I was confused. So you couldn't fly. In the original drafts, there were two specific things that they they changed from the original draft. And I'm going to say that kryptonite wasn't a thing. No. All right. So I'm gonna, so I can steal, right? Because I, you know, I get one, sure. to jump one. This is why this deal has yeah. to be two, is because it becomes collaborative. Yeah. So the uh, no cape. No, he had a cape. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna. Oh, you're gonna I just want to see if okay, if, the, if the, I'm not you're gonna not get a point. Get I'm not gonna get a point. I'm not get. Oh, I thought Alex. Oh, Alex. Uh, I thought he got. Yes, he was Haitian. I fucking hate Superman. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that the the S wasn't. It was like a regular S. No, no, you're no. Way off. It stands for hope. You were really, yeah. You were actually pretty close with your original guy. The hair. Um, he was bald. No. Yeah. Ah. He was originally a bald alien that couldn't fly. He was just super strong. Hmm. All right. So, neat. Chew on mm-hmm. that, Superman fans. No points for anyone. Yeah, all all one and a half of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. So that brings us back to Colin. Uh, does. Yes. I'll go right. on sports. You can, Non-sports, you're going to regret it. Ballroom dancing, everybody. Ballroom dancing. (laughs) There are two categories at ballroom dance uh, used in competition. Latin and what? (laughs) What did he say? Cha-cha. (laughs) Cha-cha. That would fall under Latin dances, I think. Um, I I have a guess, Caleb. Uh Formal? No. Um, I'll, I'll 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 hazard a guess and say Baroque. No, <laughs> I was gonna say because no Latin. I'm gonna say Latin and and just European or not. I, yeah, I bet Waltz. it's contemporary. No, it? Is it Waltz? no, no. Okay. you're thinking no. It, it? It's smooth. Smooth. Latin is a little choppier. Oh baby. Oh yeah, that's it. What? <laughs> Barry White sings along. It's it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, Latin God damn it! Are your competition <laughs> categories? All right, so that brings the back to Alex. Back to Alex. Oh right, yeah, you, um, got, you know what I'm going to pick? Eighties. Oh, fictional lands. Give me, give me get them lands, man. <laughs> All right, let's get them lands. Hoping it's Hyrule once again. Yeah, it's tap not. them, tap them lands, boys. Here we go. <laughs> it's not. What planet was Spock brought back to life on? Oh. I was, I'm getting hit with these fucking Star Trek you, questions. Yeah, there's a lot of Star Trek going on, and none of us are Trekkies. <laughs> well, maybe y'all need to catch on to the vein that's being. Jimmy is a Trekkie, it. so where not was super Trekkie? But where was he? Where was he brought back to life on? Yeah, the name of the planet he was brought back to life on. Fuck Eternia. I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> he was brought back to life. I would just, you know what, man? I'm gonna rep, I'm gonna rep the home team, man. It was Earth? It was Earth. He came back to Earth. No. It, it was not Earth. They didn't, take, they didn't take him to Ohio. It was your <laughs> It was always <laughs> take him to Ohio. Um, <laughs> how about Vulcan? Because why not? No. Okay. God, do people really not watch? It's been movies? years since I watched. Will this movies. been Star so, Trek three? Yeah, Is that when fresh. this would have happened? I don't Is the Return of Spock Star Trek three? Um, no. Yeah, actually, dies in the end of at the end of two and um, the oh, con. Then, yeah, yeah, you're right. It would have to have been three. Yeah, nobody watches the odd ones anyway. So. Exactly. All right, are we out of guesses? Yep. 
Uh, well, there's actually a great deal of controversy around this particular thing, but um, Seta Alpha 5 or the Genesis planet are both mm, acceptable answers. answers. The Genesis planet is probably what most people would... I do like the franchise. I just, I'm just not up on it. I actually need to see the, the latest film. It's pretty good. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's not bad. The new ones are good. Mm-hmm. The music thing I had an issue with, but... Oh, yeah. Oh, they have a bunch of a bunch of outcast tunes on there. <laughs> totally. Oh, <Beastie> Boys. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Simon Jackson. All right, so that leaves us with music and general eighties. For Brandon, you get to make the choice, dude. All right, give me just give me give me the eighties one because I'm not a music. Right. I'm not a music no. guy. You guys actually somehow left the easiest ones for the end. All right, eighties. <laughs> what, according to GI Joe, was half the battle? Oh, you fucking Alex. Knowing. <laughs> knowing, knowing is half, is the, half battle. the battle. Yes. Well done. Go Joe. Uh, that was super easy. Go Joe. Well, I know, but sometimes I give you guys easy ones and then. And then like... I don't say Middle Earth or whatever the fuck I say. Exactly. The Shire. <laughs> God damn it. The Shire. So, uh, oh my God. <laughs> that leaves Caleb with music. Yep. What was the first video played on MTV? Oh, um. <gasps> See, I'm gonna die. Is there? Is it? It's a. It's a. Um, yeah. Video killed the radio star. That is correct. Oh, yeah. I would have gotten both of them. I would have gotten either record. way. Can you? Here's a fun one. Can you name the band that sings? That no. Um, um. Son of a bitch. I would literally give a point for this. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. I would. I used to know. Nobody's is it pull just it. Uh-huh? <laughs> Jamie's like, I make the damn rules. My, <laughs> exactly. It's my game. It's not aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not It uh-huh, is not aha. No. Uh-huh. It's, it's not the talking head. No. Yeah. That's what I said. If somebody could pull that, I would be really... It's the Buggles. Ooh, the Buggles. Yes. Wow. The Buggles. Alrighty. Well, that was fun. Um, oh, my God, Caleb. <laughs> I maintain my lead at 22, Brandon at 16, Alex at 14, and Colin at 12. So everybody gained one. Yeah. All right. Basically. Successful-ish. Yeah. We went f- 50%. We went, we went, yeah, I was we went 500 say, we actually really bad at this. That is a Alex failing two, grade. Mm, I don't did know. He? Anyway. I don't think I did. Let's get out of here. All right. <laughs> so... Hey, guys. You can check us out uh, and the network we're on at ninjapancake.com. Uh, there's lots of other podcasts there, mostly about video games. So if you're into that, check it out. And we're on there, too. Um, thank you to Speaker Freaks for the Geek Squatch theme. Uh, check out their music at speakerfreaks.com or wherever music is sold. Uh, subscribe to Geek Squatch on iTunes. Please review and rate us. We'd appreciate the feedback. Um, speaking of which, you can visit our website, geeksquatch.com. Uh, email us at podcast at geeksquatch.com. You can uh, find us on Twitter at geeksquatchpod. Our DMs are open. Um, you can follow Alex at WA Hirsch, follow Brandon at Sesame Seed 01, Jamie at Traffic Jamie, me at It Resolves on Twitter, and Colin at Perkline. Anything else anyone wants to add? Um, happy holidays, guys. Um, enjoy yeah. your families. Enjoy your, enjoy your vacations if you're out. And yeah. Yeah, throw a German dude off the roof. <laughs> if you Merry can. Christmas. Motherfucker. Nice. Tag team did. Yeah. You guys tag team. <laughs> I don't know. Better half. <laughs> Drop the better line.